The following is a sermon from Faith Troy, a church located in Troy, Michigan. For more information and more audio and video content, go to www.faithtroy.org. Now this evening, we are wrapping up the series we've been in for the last several weeks called The End of Religion. And what we've been doing throughout this series is talking about that the fact that when Jesus actually came into our world, one of the many things that he did with him when he came was to bring the end of religion. And on the surface, that might sound like kind of a strange statement to us because most people, and and probably most of you here, we all tend to think of Jesus exclusively and and specifically as a, a religious figure. But the truth is, as we've learned in this series, is that many times what religion does is it has a tendency to to get us to value or tries to make us value things differently than the way that Jesus actually valued them. And many times it's actually religion that brings out some pretty negative things in us as people. As we talked about last week, there's a temptation for all of us, regardless of how religious or non-religious we may consider ourselves to be, There's this tendency for all of us to try to pick and choose the parts of religion that we like and then discard the rest. And so we end up basically doing this. We basically end up saying, you know, all religion is the same, and so you do what works for you, and I'm going to do what works for me. The problem with that, however, is that not all truth is actually true. And everyone who makes a truth claim, they actually make that truth claim from a specific vantage point. Jesus, however, is the only one who who makes the claim of truth from the vantage point of God, and then to validate what it is that he said, he, he not only managed to predict his own death, but also his own resurrection, which regardless of how religious you may be or what it is that you feel about the church or or God or the Bible or anything, you have to admit is pretty remarkable. Now, tonight, as we wrap up this series together, we're going to actually circle back and talk about something that that Pastor RJ shared with us in the very first week of of this series as we look at this idea that Jesus came to put an end to religion that is loveless. And if you're here this evening, and you've actually been burned by the church, or you've been been burned by someone who claims to to actually be a follower of Jesus, then I am so glad that you actually get to be a part of this this, uh, message this evening, because maybe this will help you to understand what it is that you actually experience. Because like we said in that very first week of this series, there is something about all religion, and Christianity is no exception to this, but there is something about all religion that that tries to make us value the rules more than anything else. And whenever the rules are in first place, the thing that always suffers, the thing that always is compromised, is the same. It's love and mercy. And perhaps the easiest way to actually see this and to think about this is to think about some phrases that many times we will hear used in the context of a discussion on religion. Phrases like this. Honor killing. Holy war. Ethnic cleansing. You know, as disturbing and as difficult as those phrases are to hear, many times those phrases are used very interchangeably within a context of religion. And while it's easy for us to sit here in this place this evening and think that, you know, none of those things actually pertain to us, that those are only phrases that that we talk about or use with somebody else's religion, see, the truth is that wasn't always the case. As the events of history and, and the Crusades remind all of us, And so for all of us as Christians, for those who call ourselves Christians, this is an important fact for us to remember, especially if we want to earn the right to be heard. 
by a culture and by a society that is increasingly more and more suspicious of religion in general and of Christianity specifically. And so again, none of us, no, no religion is immune to this because all religion, when it's left to its own, all of it becomes loveless. And see, Jesus was actually in a constant battle with the religious leaders of his day, with the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, over exactly what it is that we're going to talk about together this evening. Now, it's in Mark chapter 2 that Jesus actually says something. He says something that's actually very easy for us to skip over because it's just a simple one-line statement. But in this simple statement that Jesus makes, he he manages to, to reconcile once and for all this tension that exists between keeping the rules that religion requires and at the very same time showing love and mercy. Take out your Bibles, open them up to Mark chapter 2. Now, if you're using one of the Bibles in the seat back in front of you, you can find this here on page 1,555. And before we actually start reading this section of what Jesus is going to say to us together this evening, before we read this together, there's a little bit of context that you need to have and you need to understand to properly hear what it is that Jesus is going to say, and that is this. See, both Jesus and the religious rulers of his day, both of them agreed on two very important things. They both agreed that people were important, and they both agreed that the law of Moses was important. These were values that both Jesus and the religious leaders shared with each other. There was never any disagreement about Jesus, with Jesus and the religious leaders over these values. What they argued about was how is it that you actually prioritize these values? And and again, this is something that we do all the time. Every single one of us can understand that because all of us have a bunch of different values. We, we, We value our friendships right? And we also value the fact that tomorrow I have a homework assignment that's due, and, and so I've got I've to prioritize which one of these two things am I going to pay attention to. I, I have to go to work, but I also need to spend time with my family. So again, nobody argues about the value. What we argue about, what we struggle with, is how do we prioritize these values in our daily lives. And this is what Jesus and the religious leaders of his day were constantly in conflict over. They never argued about whether or not the law was important. They never argued about whether or not a person should actually keep the Ten Commandments. What they argued over was the place that each of these values had and what was to be in first place in an individual's life. And see, Jesus, he consistently, he consistently prioritized loving people over, and this is the challenging part, he he prioritized loving people over his own religion, And Jesus was the Son of God, remember that. And yet he consistently prioritized loving people over his religion. He's the Son of God. He's the one who actually came up with the traditions. He's the one who came up with the rules. He's the one who came up with the customs in the first place. And the Pharisees, they just could not understand how Jesus could do such a thing. Because as a rabbi, they would hear Jesus all the time say things like, don't ever even try to change a single letter in the law of Moses. Don't even try to change the punctuation of the law. Because if you do, you will be least in the kingdom of heaven. But then in the very next moment, they would see Jesus appear to disregard the law completely to go and help someone who is in need. And so they didn't know what to do 
with Jesus' words and his actions. Now, the second thing that we need to understand is that out of all the things that Jesus actually did that that bothered the Pharisees and the teachers of the law the most, the thing that got them the most angry with Jesus is when Jesus decided to do things on the Sabbath. Because the Sabbath was supposed to be holy. And and that meant there were specific things that you could do and specific things that you could not do. And and they could not understand how Jesus would behave and the things that Jesus would do while it was the Sabbath. And that's the context that we need to understand what it is that we're going to read together this evening. Beginning Mark chapter 2, in verse 23, we read this. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. And so this is kind of like a snack, right? Jesus and his disciples, they're on a little bit of a road trip, and they get hungry. And so what they're they're doing is they're actually walking up to a a plant, and they're breaking off the top head of of the grain. They're taking the kernels of grain, and they're eating them. Now the Pharisees, they see Jesus' disciples doing this, And in verse 24, they say to Jesus, look, why are they, why are your disciples doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? And Jesus is like, seriously? Really? I mean, they're not harvesting, they're eating. You guys are being ridiculous here. Come on, they're breaking off individual heads of grain and they are eating them. You're being ridiculous with all this. But see, Jesus doesn't get into an argument with them. Instead, what he does is he points out an event that took place in the life of David, where David and his men, where they ate something that they should not have eaten, and they did that on a day that they should not have have done it. And then in verse 27, Jesus says something. And, and, And what he says in this single statement, this which is so easy for us to just skip right over, In this one statement, Jesus says something that that makes being a follower of Jesus wonderful and messy and incredible and difficult all at the same time. And in verse 27, Jesus says this. He says, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. In other words, what Jesus is saying is this. He says, you know, It's not like God was up in heaven one day and he thought to himself, you know, I have all these amazing rules. The only problem is I just need some people to keep them. Or or to put it into our context, if you're a parent, you don't have children, so there's going to be somebody around to take out the garbage, do you? Right? Now that's kind of silly to think about, but but here's, here's why this is important. This is why this is such a big deal. Because, see, even though all of us grew up in different homes, the truth is this. If you grew up in a home where mom and dad was all about the rules, and you don't ever bend the rules, you don't ever break the rules, because the rules are the rules are the rules, then chances are it was probably a very orderly home to grow up in. But you probably couldn't wait to leave, could you? See, here's the tension with this. You know how great parents handle this kind of a situation? And and I say this not from the perspective of of thinking that I am a great parent. Rather, I say it from the perspective of this. After 20 years of parenting, I can actually look back on my past and I can think to myself, you know, there's, there's a few things that I did get right 
but that there's a whole lot of things that I actually regret. There's a whole lot of things that I wish I would have done differently as a parent. And see, a, a great parents, what they do, great parents, they actually set rules for their kids. But when they think it's appropriate, great parents, they actually break their own rules. Bedtime is at 8 o'clock every single tonight. That's the rule. But tonight, you can actually stay up till 9. You know what? You don't have to go to school on Monday. I know that going to school every day is a rule. In fact, it's a good rule. I think it's a really good thing that that you go to school every single day. But you know what? Based on what's happening in, in your life right now with everything that's going on, I just want you to know, you don't have to go to school on Monday morning. You can stay home. See, that's what great parents do. Great parents decide that their children are actually more important than the rules that parents themselves make. And see, the truth is, when I lose sight of that as a parent, what I end up doing is I end up creating a very orderly environment for my kids. (laughs) But it's also an environment that my kids can't wait to escape from. See, the truth is, God is a perfect Heavenly Father. And He did not create people for the law. He created the law for people. And the truth is, this goes both ways. Because there have also been plenty of times where as a parent I've had to go to my boys and say, listen, i got to say something to you guys today, and I just want you to know right up front, you are not going to be happy with what it is that I'm going to say to you right now. Because, because listen, I've changed my mind. I, I know I told you that you could, but see, now you can't. And yes, I know, I am breaking my promise to you. And yes, I know, it is a rule that you don't ever break your promise. And yes, I understand, I am breaking my own rule right now. But I want you to know. See, I looked into this more. And now that I've looked into this more, you're not doing this anymore. And yes, I have broken my word. And I realize I am breaking my word to you. But do you understand why I'm doing this? It's because you matter more to me than my rules. You are more important to me than the rules that I make. And sometimes I break my own rules and you're happy. And sometimes I break my rules and you hate me. But do you understand what both of these scenarios have in common? It's you. (laughs) Because you are more important than my rules. See, that's what great parents do. And your Heavenly Father, He really is a great parent. And this makes all of us as religious people, the truth is this is the kind of thing that makes us as religious people very nervous, doesn't it? And you know what? The truth is it should. It should. But when Jesus said this to the Pharisees, this was not a new idea for them. In fact, when you read through the Old Testament, one of the things that you find is a very common theme. And the theme goes like this. See, the nation of Israel periodically would get into the situation where they would actually try to use God's word against God's people. And then every once in a while, a prophet would show up, and he would speak to the people of Israel, because what they would do would be to mistreat each other 
in the name of God's word, and then they would go into the temple and they would make a sacrifice because in the law, God actually told them that when they did something wrong, they were to go and make a sacrifice as a result of that. And so the people, they got into this habit of treating each other terribly. And at the same time, they would go into the temple, make the sacrifice as if God had no choice but to forgive them. Be like, we can do whatever it is that we want to do, and God has to forgive us. Because, you know, God said, if we, then he. And so the prophet Isaiah would show up to the people, and he would say to them, do you really think that God doesn't know what you're up to? I mean, do you really think that God is that dumb? Do you think God doesn't know what's going on here? Do you think that you can use God's word? Do you think you can use God's promise? Do you think you can use God's sacrifice as a loophole of some sort? And Isaiah, this is actually what Isaiah said in chapter 1, verse 11. He says to the people, this is God speaking, The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me, says the Lord? I have had more than enough of burnt offerings, of rams, the fat of fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. To which the people would respond to the prophet Isaiah by saying, wait a minute, wait a minute, God is the one who said, God said, God said, God is the one who said that we are supposed to sacrifice these animals, which he did. But sin was to be the exception of the rule, not the rule. And you're acting as if you found some kind of divine cosmic loophole. I mean, do you really think, Isaiah would say to them, that God doesn't know what you're doing? Do you really think, Isaiah would say to them, that God doesn't know what you're up to? I mean, come on, he's God. And then in verse 15, he says this. Stop bringing me meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. Now, those are some harsh words, aren't they? But do you understand what this means for us? What it means for us here? See, what it means is this. See, the truth is that for some of us this evening, maybe the only reason why you're here tonight is because of what it is that you did this past week or what it is that you know you're going to do next week. Maybe even what it is that you plan to do later on this evening. Because you said that you would, and then you didn't. Or you promised that you would never, but you have no intention of actually living up to what it is that you said. And so there's this tendency in all of us to want to say, hey, God, hey, hey, over here, God. You see me, right? I'm in church. God, I read my Bible today. God, I just want to make sure you know I'm right here, right now. God, God, you see what I'm doing, don't you? And see, God says to all of us, when we feel that temptation, don't do that. Please, 
please don't do that. Don't, don't play games with me. I, I'm God. I'm your heavenly Father. I don't give you a bunch of rules, arbitrary rules to keep. I don't, I don't poke at your conscience just because I want to see you jump through a bunch of hoops. I love you. And, and don't you understand that that sin that you're messing with, that stuff that you're doing, don't you understand that's destroying your life? Don't you understand that's ruining your life? And you're trying to use church attendance? You're trying to use the fact that you read the Bible today? You're trying to do that to keep me happy? Do you understand the goal is not to try to keep me happy? God would say. The goal is actually for you to live a life that is honoring to me, and that in turn brings joy to you. I'm not in love with religion. I'm not even in love with my own rules. I am in love with you, God says. So please, please don't try to play games with me. And then you know what Isaiah tells us? He tells us there's something that means so much more to our Heavenly Father than just a bunch of empty sacrifices. He says this in verse 17. Learn to do what is right and to seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. I mean, this is Isaiah. This is the Old Testament. See, there, this was not a new idea. Because the truth is, our Heavenly Father, He has never accepted religion that was loveless. But the Pharisees, the Pharisees, they were always trying to trick Jesus. They were always trying to trap Jesus. They were always trying to get Jesus to say or do something that they could use later on to, to discredit him somehow. And so one day, as we see actually in, in Matthew 22, a scenario develops. And the Pharisees, they, they come together and they come up with a plan to trap Jesus. And they find that one of their own is an expert in the law of Moses. And so they construct this situation and they send in this expert this expert of the law to actually talk to Jesus to, to ask him a trick question. And as, as you can follow along in Matthew 22 and verse 36. This, this expert in the law, this, this, this teacher, he even tries to suck up to Jesus. And he, and he goes to Jesus and he says, Hey, teacher, teacher, out of all the commands that Moses has given to us, which one is the greatest command? Which one is the most important command? And they thought that no matter how Jesus responds to that question, they would have something that they could use against him. And Jesus looks at them, and he says this. In verse 37, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And all the Pharisees listening to Jesus that day thought to themselves, you know what, that is an awesome answer. Because nobody can see my heart. And nobody can see my soul. And nobody can see my mind. 
and I can convince everyone, I can convince myself and everyone else that I am a commandment keeper, that I am keeping the greatest commandment. But see, Jesus didn't stop there, did he? He just kept right on going. And the second is like it, Jesus said. And they thought to themselves, the second, wait a second, Jesus, no, no. We just asked which is the first, which is the greatest commandment. And Jesus said, I'm telling you the greatest. The greatest has two parts. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And like it means equal to. Like it means it clarifies. Like it means it makes it understandable and measurable. Like it means that it keeps us from looking for loopholes. Like it means it keeps us from turning into religious people who do religious things. And Jesus says the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And see, I actually know whether or not I'm doing that. Don't I? And then what Jesus says next is so incredibly important for us today. Don't miss what Jesus says in the last verse, verse 40. All, which means all, all the law and all the prophets. In other words, Jesus says all of the Old Testament, it hangs on these two commandments. And so what Jesus is saying to us is this. If you've ever read something in the Old Testament, if you've ever read something in the law of Moses and you've ever thought to yourself, you know, I I wonder why this is here. I, I wonder what this means. I wonder what the purpose of this is. Jesus is saying it all is describing It's all defining, it's all explaining these two things. Love God and love your neighbor. In other words, if you read any of this, Jesus would say, and you come up with a meaning different than that, you read it wrong. If you read any of this and you interpret it to mean anything other than that, Jesus would say, you've interpreted it wrong. If you take any of this and you give yourself credit for being a devout person because of what it is that you've read and hear, and you don't do these two things, Jesus would say to us, we are living wrong. See, that's why. That's why there's not just one. That's why there's two. And you know what this means for us, specifically? As Christians who are living in the 21st century? See, it means this. If this is what Jesus believed, and this is what Jesus taught, then it means that everything that everybody who taught after Jesus, it means everything that they said, Everything that they wrote means the same thing as well. So if you've ever read what Paul wrote, if you've ever read what Peter wrote, if you've ever read what James wrote, and you thought to yourself, you know, what on earth are they trying to say here? It means the same thing. It meant love God and love your neighbor. And so when you go into those situations of life, 
and you don't know what to do, you do what love requires of you. See, the truth is, this is all about becoming, isn't it? Remember a couple months ago, January and February, as a church? We spent eight weeks talking about these three incredibly important words for us as individuals, but also for us as a congregation, belong, believe, and become. See, this is all about becoming, what it means to become a follower of Jesus. It's not about a list of do's and don'ts. It's not about a bunch of rules. Because, see, Jesus never allowed what he believed to prevent him from loving another person. And what makes this so incredibly challenging for all of us, the reason this is so difficult, is because love actually demands inconsistency. Now, as a parent, if you're a parent, every single one of us, we know that intuitively, don't we? But as soon as you bring that truth into a religious discussion, immediately it makes us very, very nervous, as it should. Because immediately we want to ask questions like, how far will that lead and to what extent do you take this and how far do you actually push on something like this? How, how far will this take us as a church? And the truth is, I don't know. But what I do know is this. When I read the Gospels and I listen to what Jesus said, It is absolutely crystal clear that this is what Jesus believed, that this is what Jesus taught. Now, how do I know that? Because, see, Jesus did not die for principles and precepts. Jesus died for people. Jesus did not die for law. Jesus did not die for rules. Jesus didn't even die for sinners. I mean, for sin. Jesus died for sinners. Jesus died to put an end to a religion that was based in rules. Jesus died to put an end to people trying to pick and choose their own way to find God. Jesus died to end religion that was loveless. But most importantly, What Jesus died for was for you. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, every single one of us here this evening, whether we realize it or not, whether we understand it or not, are here because you actually broke your own rules. You gave to us love and mercy that we didn't deserve. And Jesus, you chose to take a punishment that your own rules say should have belonged to us. And so, Holy Spirit, my prayer and our prayer this evening is that you would give to each one of us the wisdom to know how in the difficult circumstances of life that we find each one of ourselves in, that we would know how it is that we are to show love to people and how it is that we are to do that in a way that that doesn't compromise our convictions, that doesn't compromise what it is that we say we believe, in a way that doesn't compromise our values. In the same way, Jesus, that you did 
for each one of us. And so, Jesus, we thank you for that incredible gift of grace. Grace that goes far beyond what we understand. Grace that goes far beyond our ability to play games with you. Grace that deals with the sin and the hurt and the regret of our past and grace that gives us the hope and promise of a future with you. Jesus, that's the gift of amazing grace you've given to all of us as sinners. And for that, we are incredibly thankful. And so, Jesus, it's in this moment that we ask that you would hear us as we personally and silently confess our sin to you. Each one of us in the moment, in that time, in that existence that we had as sinners who were hopeless, who did not have a Savior. It's into that moment that our Heavenly Father actually sends Jesus into our lives and into our world to give to us the life that he has, to give to us the hope that comes with having a Savior, to give to us the gift that comes in the forgiveness of our sin. And so each one of you, you truly are forgiven in Jesus' name. Amen.